0: When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself.
1: John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Here's the main idea what I want you to get. I want you to understand this morning that Jesus lavishly, gladly, Calmly provides more than enough. Jesus provides more than enough. Let me ask you a question: What do you need again this hour? What do you need? What are your needs? Sleep. Sleep? Yeah. (laughs) Well, go ahead. There's already a few others. Sleep. (laughs) What do you need? Most of us will think right away of our physical needs, right? We think of food. We think of rest physically. We think of, we need money. We think of our physical needs. And certainly people in the Bible, when they encountered Jesus, that was their first reaction to Him. They saw in Jesus the ability to provide for their physical needs. Maybe you're ill and what you need is healing. Well, you're just like the people in the first century that got to see Jesus face to face. When we think about our needs, our first thought is typically we have physical needs. But what I want you to see in this passage is that what Jesus came for is certainly it includes meeting our physical needs, but really what he does is begin to meet our spiritual needs. Our deep spiritual need to be connected to God the Father. This is what Jesus has done, and this is what he is doing. I want you to know that God. Can provide all of our needs. Uh, Jeremiah 31 14 says, My people will be filled with bounty. So let's just think about that. So here we are in John, uh, John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And, and Jesus has been ministering, doing lots of things. He's traveling all around. And, and John's gospel, as you know, is written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah so that you will have life. I mean, Make no mistake, when looking at this, to, to understand the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And if we understand that, then we have life according to John's kind of purpose for his gospel. So Jesus' ministry, verse 1 says that Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Why were they following him? Well, because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountainside and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now, this story is told in all four Gospels, which is fairly unique. And the Gospels are the first four books in the New Testament, which are really like a narrative of Jesus' life. Uh, and, and this so the story is told in all four places. Mark talks about what's happening here and gives us a little bit more kind of color commentary. Mark chapter 6, verse 33. It says that now many saw them going, Jesus and His disciples, and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When He went ashore, He saw a great crowd and He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and He began to teach them many things. So this is Jesus' experience of this group of people that seem like they're anxious and they're excited but they're, they're, they have no leader, they have no direction. They're like an army without a general. They are sheep without a shepherd. Well, Jesus is in the midst of this crowd of people, and it's according to John's Gospel. It's during this Passover. Now, uh, it's it's important that I point out here that John makes a point of it being at the time of the Passover for a very specific reason. Do you remember what Passover is? It's this annual celebration when the Jews remember God's deliverance of them from slavery. And so it's talked about in the book of Exodus. Moses is raised up by God. To go to Pharaoh and say, "Let my people go." The ten uh, or the nine plagues, and then the tenth deliverance kind of miracle happens, and eventually uh, the Pharaoh lets them go. They go through the Red Sea, that is parted, and they find their way to Mount Sinai. Do you remember this story? Well, the night before they left, they had a big meal. And, and in their journey from slavery to the land that God had promised them, one of the most important things that happened is that God provided a meal to them every single day, this meal called manna. And uh, this is really important and, uh, and because it involves food. And for them, this season of Passover would have been a time where they um, remembered this deliverance by God, Um, from their oppressors by the hand of this Moses. And I, I want you to understand this. Miraculous provision is a sign of God's unique power. Okay, that's it. A miraculous provision, we see something miraculous in terms of there being a provision of food in this instance. It's a sign of God's unique power that helps us to see Jesus as God. So Jesus is with this crowd of people In verse 5, lifting up his eyes, seeing a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now he said this to test them according to verse 6, for he himself knew what he would do. This is really interesting. Uh, Jesus sees this crowd of people, knows that they're hungry, and so he, he draws Philip into the conversation. I mean, Jesus knows what he's going to do. But he invites Philip in. So he asks Philip, what are we going to do? And it's this point in Scripture, and if we see it throughout the Bible, that God invites us in. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, Jesus has the solution, but he chooses to invite Philip in to be a part of the solution. He actually invites in several of his disciples. Now, we should not think that for a minute... He doesn't know what to do or is incapable of um, coming up with a decision here. Um, it, but, but it is a powerful truth related to the Christian mission that God invites us and invites us to be a part. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God does not need you, nor does He need me. God could have His way wherever, whenever, however He wants. I mean, we ought to just sit in all of that reality. but hey, God in His grace Immersed invites us in. Which is really remarkable if you're honest with you about you. (laughs) Uh, Trust me, if I were to go back to my junior high years and to tell people that knew me then that I would be a pastor, but it's also a church planter in the center of Houston, they would be like, no way. (laughs) No way. God invites in people that are broken and busted. And if your story you feel like is the most horrible and disgusting, and you feel like you're the most unwritten person in all the world, I want you to know that you're exactly the kind of person that God uses. He wants to invite you in. It's one thing I love about this church, is we've got some people in here with some just crazy stories. Crazy stories that God is using in remarkable ways. God invites us in. I am so thankful that God has invited me into a story. I love it. I really, really do. One of the, my favorite ways that I see God using, um, I think, uh, well, uh, you know, genius desire to plant the church and willingness to be used is in my own group that I'm fortunate to be one of the leaders of. And uh, actually I actually have a group. I have a picture my home group here. I got them all to sit down. So many of you are in this picture. Not I many, some of you are in this picture. And, um, you know, what's awesome about this picture. And you start to talk about how God invites us in. Um, I did not know, um, all but four of these people, about five of these people, six months ago. Not at all. I didn't know this at all. Um, Greg and Mona I met a little over a year ago. Tim and Laura have been around for a long time. But we talk about God invites us. in. you know what I think about this group? It's like I could just get to be a part of their stories. They get to be a part of their lives. When they leave my house on the Wednesday night, just, I just sit there and I'm just like, God, just thank you for inviting me. And I mean, you're providing to these people what they need. Um, they need healing and they need to understand Jesus and see Jesus. I and mean, that's just a wonderful thing. I and mean, many of you, and you know, hunger is very important for our church. If you're not in one, we'd love to help you find your way toward one. Um, maybe you can think of ways that God has invited you into His story. He's invited you into you, in people's lives, I and mean, that's really wonderful. Maybe it's with your neighbor. Maybe He's invited you in because He wants to do something in the life of a person you used to run around with in not such a good way. Jesus is with this crowd. He sees that they have a need. He invites Philip and his disciples in and he says, well, what should we do? Verse 7, Philip said, well, kind of surpassingly, to be quite honest, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, 200 denarii. We don't deal with this kind of currency. It would basically be equivalent to eight months wages. So he's being dramatic in his answer. I mean, you can have eight months of wages and it would not feed all these people. We find that later that, there, later that there's 5,000 men, which probably means that there's 20,000 people in this crowd, if you can believe that. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves. Now, uh, it's interesting to note that the type of bread described here, the barley loaves, is the bread of the poorer class. And It's not described in that way in the other Gospels, but John wants us to see that this is the bread of the poor class. So there's a poor boy here that has five barley loaves and two fish. That's all we got. Jesus said, well, just have the people sit down. God invites us in. Certainly we say at times, well, I don't don't have much. You don't think you have much. I, I certainly don't think I do, but but God takes our offering. God takes our not much. You know what I'm saying? And he uses it for something special. As I thought about three years as a church, um, it's not hard to think of ways in which the people that are part of this community have given a little and has turned into a lot. You know, one thing early on when we decided to start this church, we had nothing. I mean, nothing. When I said, okay, we're going to a little group of people that were experiencing Christ in the city, and we said, "Okay, I'm going to step out and continue to pastor," which is basically how we decided to plant a church. We had no money, nothing. And early on, one of the people in the community said, "I have something. I don't have much, but I have something." What he had was a diamond ring. Now, this diamond ring was a very special diamond ring because it was a ring that he had purchased for a woman that he was going to marry. But he did not end up marrying her. And this ring, in that time of his life, represented, the time of his life that it turned out that he wasn't going to marry her, represented the lowest period of his life. Which is the time that I met him. We talked for three hours at a Starbucks about all that God wanted to do in his life. And he received the gospel. He believed. And so when he started talking about planting a church and doing a work in the city to take the message that he had received and begin encouraging his heart, transforming his life to people in the inner city that had not yet heard it, he was all on board. And so early on when we said, okay, how are we going to do this? He said, you know what? I want to take this ring and I going to sell it. And the money that I get from this ring, I want it to be the first kind of offering to make this vision become a reality. So we did. It was almost $8,000. It was the first big gift we received as a church. And in the grand scheme of things, in three years, we've now seen God provide $1.4 million for ministry. So in the grand scheme of things, that's not much. But you know what? It was a little thing that God used not only to provide for ministry, but He used it to encourage our church. This little boy may have said, well, I don't have much. Can you imagine what he must have thought? I mean, there's 5,000 people. He's a little boy. He's poor. Many people are poor. But it's important that we notice that he is one of the people that is poor. He... He has this. I'm sure he's worked hard for it. I wonder if he had any thought of, hey, those are my fish. Maybe he thought that Jesus was going to take his fish and feed his disciples or feed himself. But I, wonder he, I wonder if he thought, well, I'll just... I'll do the work that I can do with this fish. Because this is what we do sometimes. So we, we take our things and we kind of we distribute it in these places without first giving it to God. And then I mean, it happens. Something works, right? I mean, he could have fed another family with what he had. But it's really awesome to consider that he submits this little offering to God and then God's going to use it. And not only does God use it to feed 5,000 men, 20,000 people, but God uses it To put this little boy in a story in the most popular book in all of history. Think about that. This little poor boy is one of the main characters in a story that's in all four Gospels, that's one of the most known told stories in all the world. And all he had was a few fish and some bread. God is going to use his meager offering. And I'm not exactly sure how this works. God's economy, but but I do know this: when we when we give to God, whatever it is, the God can use that and multiply the impact. I, I don't think it's give God a dollar; He gives ten, or give God part of your gift, and He gives you you know great success or, or whatever it is. I, I don't I don't know, and certainly I don't preach that gospel. Where if you give God a dollar, He'll give you ten. If you you know if you you no, you're going to drive a Mercedes or an Escalade and all you know, that kind of mess. And that is, yeah, somebody got to get, that's it here in Amen back there?
0: Did
1: you just claim that? Because if you did, it's all broke. I, I don't know how that works. And that's, that, is, that is, I think God's less concerned about what we drive, more concerned about our hearts. But, um, but I do know this, that God can use our offering, as small as it is or as big as it is, to multiply its impact for His purposes. Can you imagine this little boy after giving his little offering, which was really a big offering for him to Jesus to be used. Can you imagine what it must have felt like after Jesus used him to feed all the people? Can you imagine? Verse 11 says that Jesus took the five loaves gave thanks. He might have said this prayer, a popular Jewish prayer of thanks. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth. He distributes the food. Everybody eats. He has twelve baskets left over. Jesus provides gladly lavishes his provisions provides what we need there's an excess some of you know that what you felt like you needed is a friend and what God has provided is a community of friendships what you you felt like you needed when you came to Christ was to be free from a drug addiction but what you received was eternal life and meaning and purpose God provides what we But He does it in such a way that He just just pours it on. Just pours it on. Just like God the Father can provide and has provided throughout history, God the Son is here providing. So in John's Gospel, we are to see Jesus as having the same ability to provide as the Father. Again, remind us that Jesus is equal to God. We learned that last week. Provides. He invites people in as He's doing this work of provision. He accepts these disciples with their questions and their sarcasm. He he uses this boy who is uh, really um, insignificant in, in terms of the way people would have seen Him in this day. We must believe that we too are invited in. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that you're invited in? You have something to offer. If you're willing to give it, God is going to use it for something far greater. You say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. But you might know something. I- I'm not smart enough. Or I'm not people-oriented enough. Or, or I don't have enough money. or You know, whatever. And you may say, that's not enough. And God says, you know what? Give what you have. And watch God use it. Watch God use it not only to meet physical needs, but... We notice that Jesus is about something far greater here. So this is a good reminder that God invites us in, that He provides for us. But you know what is also going on in this passage? Just a couple more thoughts here. What's also going on in this passage is that this passage provides a warning to us. I don't know if you saw it or not. The crowd gathered, not because of who Jesus is as Messiah, but they gathered because of what He can do. Did you notice that in the passage? a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was doing on the sick. So they gathered not because of who He is, as Messiah, as Savior, as Deliverer, as the reason, or as the answer to their sin and separation from God. They don't see Him as that. They see Him as someone that can do things for them to meet their physical needs. They want their physical needs met. They want to be healed. They want to uh, be fed They want an easier life. Do you know, people, maybe you have come to Jesus in that way. You have a desire for an easier life, or you have some sort of physical need, and you think, well, I've heard Jesus can do it, so I'll come to Jesus. And so, oftentimes, people come to Jesus because He can meet our physical needs. But do you know that Jesus is really about our spiritual needs? Ultimately, about our spiritual needs, It's not that He doesn't care about our physical needs, but that's not His aim, ultimately. This is maybe one reason that when we know somebody that's ill and we pray for them to be healed, that they're not always healed. Because maybe it is in the illness that God is going to do something spiritual in people. He's going to get at the heart of people. Do you know that someone can have their physical needs met? There can be physical healing or some kind of physical provision and, and them not ultimately be reconciled to God. That, that's true. And certainly there are works in our own city that are about meeting people's physical needs, but don't deal at all with people's spiritual needs. Well, I think what's obvious from the Scripture is that Jesus is really about meeting people's spiritual needs. And you know what people need? They need their sin forgiven. They need to be made at peace with God need to be reconciled to God. What separates people from God is sin. This is why God sent Jesus to make a way for our sin to be erased. So the crowd recognized Jesus as special and it says in the last part of the passage, verse 15 and 16, that they recognize that he's a prophet. He's the one we've been waiting for to deliver us. And so they try to, to get him to lead this earthly revolution. But Jesus escapes. He moves away. Why? Because he's not about um, just the physical needs of people. But he's going to do something greater just a short time later by dying on the cross. His way of triumph was not going to be by defeating people or beating the enemy in uh like warfare, earthly warfare, siege warfare. But his way of triumph is going to be by dying and raising from the dead. And He's going to go, as one commentary says it, he's going to go to Jerusalem not to wield the spear, but to bring, uh, not to wield the spear and bring judgment, but to receive the spear, thrust and bear the judgment. Certainly Jesus cares about our physical needs. These people were focused on the food and His miracles. But what we need to see through John's Gospel is that Jesus is about a deeper spiritual need in each one of us. They may have missed the message of Jesus, but we shouldn't. Let us not be people who miss the message of Jesus. Do you know that you can come to God and say, heal me physically, but what God ultimately wants to do is heal your heart. It can heal you physically in mind. It can make you prosperous monetarily. Maybe you need mind. But ultimately, what he wants to do is something in your heart. He wants to erase the sin that enslaves you and invite you in to this grand narrative this story where you get to be about sharing with other people about all that God can do. Do you believe that Jesus can provide more than we need? I hope so. Let's pray together.